Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Mill Creek Howdy View Newspaper. Howdy and happy Valentine's Day. I am Steve Abramowitz and this is the Mill Creek View podcast. You found us. Good job. Welcome TECN.TV viewers. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, special guest Matt Murphy for our new monthly segment called Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law. What'll I do with my life, Murphy? And there he is. Travel back Here with me for a moment for a December 6, 2021 headline. WWTN hires Matt Murphy as its afternoon host. Murphy programmed Talk 99.5 WZRR in Birmingham, Alabama. He had served in that capacity since 2007, 17 years ago for you liberals listening. A lifetime in this business. According to Radio Insight, Nashville's Super Talk 99.7 WWTN has hired Matt Murphy to fill their afternoon time slot. Meanwhile, Brian Wilson was moved from mornings to replace Phil Valentine. May he rest in peace. Murphy's programmed Talk 99.5 WZRR in Birmingham, Alabama. He had served in that capacity since 07. Recently, WWTN has made several changes, including moving Dan Mandis to Morning Drive and Brian Wilson to Afternoons, where it sits today. Hi, how are you? Hello, friend. How are you? you? I'm awesome. Did you hear our new theme song for the Matt Murphy Show? I did. I caught a little of that. I like it. Not the Matt Murphy Show. Not the Matt Murphy Show. Not to be confused with the Daily Trademark Show. This is just the the uh, Mill Creek View podcast version, and it is the Murphy's Law segment. So um, it's like summer outside. Uh, did you have a good show today? It was pretty good. Um, a lot of great discussion, uh, obviously, about the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas. That uh, made some headlines. We talked a few local issues here in Middle Tennessee and had a good conversation with Congressman Mark Green about the aforementioned impeachment and uh, this uh, struggle to define exactly what the security threat facing the United States of America is as we sit here on this Valentine's Day. So uh, it was a great show. I thought so. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. Do we need to build bunkers, be afraid, do as Mark Zuckerberg and buy an island out in the Pacific and, and dig deep down below and hide or what the heck is going on? I don't know. You know, the, the, the powers that be in the bureaucracy of Washington, D.C. don't want to tell us what the threat is. They say, oh, there's a big threat. You need to be scared, but that's classified. So, yeah. you know, this on a need to know basis. One would think that we would need to know, but oh, well, I it's a big club, it's a big club you, and we're not in it. I told my wife that we're having this discussion on Mill Creek View today because she wants uh, you want us to be further apart on uh, on Valentine's Day. That's what I accused you of. Steve. That's true. I'm trying to divide you and prayers up for Henry Houndog. Oh, shout yeah. out real quick. Yeah, yeah that's sad. And you yeah. took some time off for that. And as well, you should heal. Um, maybe Mark was talking about what's happening up north of here. Um, there's like uh, 10 people just got shot again. And, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But talk about not letting us know what's really going on. Yeah, so it's just odd. And, you know, maybe it's a lack of communication between uh, one Republican congressman and another. Uh, congressman Mike Turner is head of the Intelligence Committee. Uh, in the House of Representatives, and he came out earlier today and said, hey, there's a specific and credible, there's a security threat, a national security threat that the American people need to know about. And he was so concerned about it in the Intelligence Committee that he told all congressmen, you need to go and you need to look at this, and we're going to open this up and make it available to everybody in Congress. And then he implored the President of the United States to declassify this information so every American would be aware of whatever information it is and now we're being told, well, you don't need to know that because it's classified. So it it is yet to be determined what the heck we're talking about. There's a lot of uh, rumors going on on you know social media and other news platforms about what it might be. You know, I hesitate to get into all of that, uh, but I would hope uh, that if it were a serious enough security concern, uh, the American people would know uh, immediately. Uh, regardless of whatever the bureaucracy says about classification. I don't know how you feel about it, Steve. I, I think the bureaucracy in Washington, D.C. overclassifies things on purpose yep. uh, to prevent the American people from being able to see what the heck their government's doing. And this do. might not be that. I don't know if this is that or not. I just know that when people tell me, oh, you don't need to know that that's classified, my hackles go up. 
Yeah, and there is an election, and there is, uh, you know, a, a crisis on the border that he is responsible for. And then we had yeah. an attack uh, just the other day in uh, Lakewood Church, uh, where Joel Olstein uh, preaches, the mega church there. We don't know. We do know that person was transgender. We do know that in Nashville, we have our own problem with the transgender shooter. We do know that there's a long list of those now. So who knows what he was actually talking about? Because while you were on air, there is an ongoing shooter uh, scenario right now. I don't think that's what he meant. He probably meant something bigger than that. But we'll dig into all that in just a second. So you probably know, and I heard you say this on your show today. You probably let it slip out, but it's okay. I didn't trademark it. Um, my show's motto is don't California, you're Tennessee. Uh, more on social media than say, you know, I, I say it a billion, I don't say it a billion times on air, but check this out. And tell me why we should never do like California does, because, you know, they say as California goes, so goes the country. Well, let's hope Tennessee isn't like the country. San Francisco Chronicle, this Bay Area school district spent $250,000 on woke kindergarten. Test scores fell even further. Some teachers say woke kindergarten is wrongly rooted in progressive politics and activism with anti-police, anti-capitalism and anti-Israel messages. There it is all right there. The woke kindergarten curriculum shared with schools includes wonderings, which pose questions for students, including if the United States defunded the Israeli military, how could this money be used to rebuild Palestine? Remember I said kindergarten? Teacher Tiger Craven Neely said he supports discussing racism in the classroom, but questioned a trainer who used the phrasing so-called United States, as well as so-called United States, as that is what it is called. Positing a word without a world without police, money, or landlords. California school terminates the contract with controversial woke kindergarten program. So now the school can just suck instead of really, really sucking. So with all <laughs> that being said, all the interviews you've done since the new session began, who did you talk to that shaped our thinking on Slee's school vouchers the most? What, who have I spoken to that I feel like is on top of the voucher program? Is that what you're asking me? That gave you the most think, insight into what's really going on with the voucher uh, system. Scott's a picky. Uh, you know, I, uh, I appreciate Scott's um, as as forthright. Is he, he is being as forthright as he can be uh, regarding what he knows about the formulation of the bill itself. Um, as you and I have spoken about in the past, Steve, the devil's always in the details, always in the details on these things. And so when you hear about them initially, you know, the governor comes out and he throws out uh, language like we're going to give parents the ultimate uh, decision making opportunity. We don't want finances to impede them and their ability to choose the best performing schools. All of this sounds great until the government begins encroaching on those private institutions, those parochial schools and the homeschoolers. Uh, that really value having that ultimate decision-making ability about curriculum, about what is, and you know, a homeschooler, the parents of homeschool kids, they don't worry about what's in their children's libraries, right? Because they control the libraries. So, you know, for me- And the school lunches and, and the schedule of vaccines and a lot of things yeah, that they don't yeah, like. And, that what, and what flags or, you know, what so flag? the- Everything that I'm hearing uh, from parents who are really intimately involved with their kids learning is that we want to make sure first and foremost that this does not give the state the opportunity to start dictating to us how we run our schools. And for me, that that would make this bill a non-starter if this gave uh, the state the ability to control more intimately or regularly the curriculum or the day-to-day -day operations of private schools. I understand that they're going to have to have some standards um, uh, regarding who gets to apply for the scholarships, and that's all well and good. Uh, but I'm not hearing a lot of specific language, even out of Scott Sapicki or anyone else, uh, about the nature of the bill. We're just hearing that it's a scholarship, that it'll be $7,000 a student, uh, that it's not going to come out of the public education budget. They're a little vague about where that money then comes from, because after all, it's taxpayer dollars. Uh, and uh, we are told choice that- Choice lanes. It'll come from choice lanes. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, did you, did not toll lanes. Choice <laughs> no, lanes. No, I said it right. Oh, I yeah, can't yeah, get that's censored. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, 
So, you know, it's kind of a wait and see approach. I want this to be good uh, because I agree with the concepts. I, you know, I agree with the idea. Uh, and I think you do too, of giving parents every tool in their child's educational toolbox to make the best decision uh, for their children regarding their education, because it's so important. Uh, that's, so here's, here's the thing, and this is yeah. why this is the theme of today's show. Yeah. Washington did this. California did this. Oregon did this. I think Alabama did this where you came from, and I'm pretty sure Georgia has already done this. The schools have been the stomping ground of the left, the far left, the progressive left, the woke Marxist lesbian left, like the American Library Association president self-proclaimed. All of a sudden, the right, Governor Lee, you know, he's not far right. I, I, he's pretty squishy in my opinion, but he's definitely a Republican, are trying to do something in that arena, and there is no way the left's going to let him do it without painting them as the most extreme, most bankrupting, most awful, most corrupt, because Arizona did this and screwed it up. Missouri's done it, and they've done it right. Nobody that you've talked to or that I've talked to has said, we're going to emulate the model in Missouri. We're not going to do it like Arizona or Washington State, where the federal government can take your kids away if they get a wind of them wanting to transition, and you can't do anything about it because we're not even going to tell you where they are. That's how extreme it can get. And I'm afraid that in Tennessee, we were just, Steve and I were just talking about this before the show started. They're going to pass a Republican conservative bill that affects schools. And then the next time the liberals get in charge, they're going to abuse it. Well, I understand that it, it it's up to us to a certain degree. I mean, I, I think it, at some point, and I don't disagree with what you're saying about the slippery slope or the encroachment of government in every facet of our lives, but at some point it's incumbent upon us to say no. Uh, and I think at some point it's up to the people to ensure that we continue to elect uh, conservatives to public office, uh, because I, 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 I guess I would put it this way, um, that wouldn't that be the case for everything if we allow liberals to yeah. re regain power? So if we allow liberals to regain power in the state of Tennessee, a lot of bad things are gonna be the result of that. Uh, education would be one of them. School choice would probably be one of them too. So, and we have school board point, elections just, right we, now. School board I, elections right now that are actually going. Well, to that's right, that. and 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 not enough people pay attention to them, uh, and and not enough people um, dive deep and investigate. You know, everybody. You know, I used to have a running joke when I was in Alabama, and I've done it to a certain degree when I'm in Tennessee. That everybody puts an adjective in front of conservative. Uh, and, that, and it's a matter of finding the best. I'm a true conservative. I'm a real conservative. I'm a lifelong conservative. And the reason they do that is because there's a lot of people that are trying to fake being conservative uh, because they know that in the South, that's going to get them votes. Yes. Uh, and they sneak in there. And that's where the whole concept of rhinos came from. So I, I would I would I'm leery of the legislation for the reasons that you've stated uh, that there's always the consideration of what will government do with this once we give them this level of power. And I think at some point um, it is incumbent upon the Steves of the world and the Matts of the world to make sure that we are doing our job and making the people aware of what the possibilities are, what the realities are, what the possibilities are, and what would happen if everything went wrong with legislation like this. And that's Murphy's Law right there. Yep. All right. So next one, Tennessee spends about a billion dollars, believe it or not, last year for services for illegals, including schools. That's $700 for you, for me, per resident. Um, Tennessee Congressman Mark Green, we just talked about, he did get it done. He promised, he made a promise and he kept his promise. He did impeach Mayorkas. Now it's in the Senate's court where it's likely going to die, but okay, he did it. He did what he was supposed to do from Tennessee. How do you feel about him and his job up there uh, on the homeland security but more importantly what do you see state leaders doing about illegal immigration um we just got notice from hss here in tennessee the department he's the chair of at least while republicans still have a one vote majority for the moment um we get thousands of illegals being dumped off in middle tennessee starting now um including franklin and davidson county uh what are your thoughts on illegal immigration and the state folks not doing anything about it well, I, I know that there's a movement amongst some in the General Assembly to kind of reassert states' rights with regard to illegal immigration. Uh, there's only so much that 
non-border states can do to protect American borders, right? Uh, we can certainly send Tennessee National Guardsmen to Texas and support Texas or support whatever states want and ask for support. But there's only so much that we can do to prevent them from actually getting to the United States of America. I believe we can do more to prevent illegal aliens in the state of Tennessee, certainly receiving state services. Um, I don't know how much that we can encroach on the federal side, uh, preventing certain federal services from coming their way. The trick is, um, you know, we can lay, you know, words to this. We can talk about it. We can even pass laws about it. But where does the rubber meet the road? And I was talking about this on my show the other day. So if we pass, um, if, you know, if we try to prevent illegal aliens from continuing to exist in the state of Tennessee, then how does that happen? Well, you can shut off the honeypot, which I'm all in favor of, um, as many government services as you can possibly shut down, uh, pass laws to demand of businesses in the state that they really do verify uh, the legality of their employees. Don't allow them, stop allowing them to hide behind subcontractors. Um, I see this a lot, and I just use it as, as an example. I'm not trying to pick on construction, the construction industry, but I'll use it as an example, right? The contractors say, hey, we everybody that we hire is legal. Uh, and you say, well, who do you hire? Well, I hire subcontractors. Well, who's working for them? I don't know. None of my business. Well, we know who's working for them. So they're hiding behind these layers of loopholes. We need to close those loopholes down. So everything we can do in that regard, I think is a good thing to dry that honeypot up and make Tennessee hostile to illegal immigration. What I also hear is that- Before you tell that, me the second point, I'm just yeah, curious. In Tennessee, the general session goes from January 1st to April. Here it is February 14th. Have you seen anything along those lines that would dry up that honeypot? No, of course not. No. No, because there's there's a fear because it um potentially would blow back vent on them from the business community. So I, I don't even know that some of these politicians wouldn't want to do more. But in order to do that, you're going to have to offend uh some of our friends over at the Chamber of Commerce who like that free flow of money coming into the state through cheap labor. Uh, mm -hmm. They like that idea of keeping those costs down. Uh, so they look the other way when it comes to that illegal immigration. And so, no, we've not seen, I've not seen anything. And I don't think you have either. Uh, the super majority of Republicans in Tennessee go along with a chamber of commerce Republican or a, um, a corporatist Republican, and you can't have one without the other. So the fact that everybody hates blue states for being so liberal and high, highly regulated and highly taxed and loves Tennessee for their red, rock rib, Reagan, Barry Goldwater Republicanism, they have to remember that means you're going to be given a lot of your liberties over to corporations. And some of them hate you. Well, and and look, th there could be a, and maybe I would be accused of being an apologist for these folks, and I'm no apologist for the Chamber of Commerce Republican Party, but there, you could make an argument to me that there is a need to develop more legal immigration practices to bring labor to our country in order to fill the need for labor. My argument's always been until you shut the border down, until you stop immigration completely for a period of time, whether it's 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, whatever, get an assessment of what illegal aliens have already come, shut that flood down. I don't want to have a conversation about what should or should not be. So it got, kind of goes to your point. There's a lot of money involved and there's a lot of money preventing shutting all of this down on the front end because they don't want to lose their labor pool that's very cheap for them and provides them with an endless supply of low value, uh, unskilled labor. Um, and their donors and their donors and their donors and, and their donor support. That's right. But the, the ultimately, we have to answer to this on the federal level. And I know that that might not be um, the easiest of tasks. Uh, but in order to stop the flood of illegal alien activity, we have to get somebody else in the White House and we have to get a majority and we have to get the real um, Republicans that want to do something about it. Uh, not these chamber of commerce types, not Mitch McConnell types, uh, you know, but I, I, I would just, and I think, I think Mark Green is among those numbers. I think he's, 
Um, he's doing the things that he needs to do to draw a highlight uh, to the lack of activity on the part of the Biden administration. But, you know, I, I'm not trying to pass the buck when I say it, but until we get the right person in the White House, I mean, we saw the decline in the numbers when Trump was in the White House. Those were real number declines uh, in, in real time over his course at, in his presidency. And then you saw them shoot back up like a hockey stick when Joe Biden opened the floodgates. Again. So uh, that's the ultimate answer. But there are certainly things that the state could do that they're not doing. I don't see any activity. And I think that it's going to be really hard to simulate 50 million new arrivals who absolutely have no infrastructure for such things. And they diverse them, they spread them out over the country into these little counties that sometimes there's more illegals than than residents of the county. And if coming to Middle Tennessee, I don't know that it's not going to be a, a good mix of uh, People who want to work for a living, raise a family, you know, grow up and have the American dream and those who are already here doing that, there's going to be problems. Um, so odd topic, but it is in the news from yesterday. Trans shootings. It seems to be the thing. Lakewood, Texas, Iowa, Nashville, Denver. I think we'll ever get to the, the facts on the, on the tranny violence, especially here in Nashville, what happened? With the well, right, because because every time we bring it up, you know, right now someone watching this is saying, Abramowitz is transphobic and Matt Murphy's transphobic, and we're supposed to be afraid of that and run away from the topic. But the fact of the matter remains that for whatever reasons, you're seeing a growing number of individuals that self-identify as non-binary or gender fluid or trans, and we'll put that under the umbrella of transgender, committing these acts of violence. And I think there are groups in the United States of America that are actively radicalizing these people. Uh, they are convincing them that there are massive amounts of people that are somehow out to get them, which isn't true. Uh, we have sympathy for them. I want them to get whatever help they need. I want them to get that help. Um, but I'm not going to lie to them in order to placate whatever mental situation they have going on. And sadly, I think because there are growing numbers of people that are radicalizing them, uh, these individuals who are already mentally unstable are turning to violence. I think that a second component to this, Steve, are psychotropic drugs. The pharmaceutical industry is a huge moneymaker in this country. They have huge influence in Washington, D.C. and in the various states. And the last thing they want is an examination on what their drugs are doing to our young people that A, might cause them to believe that they're a gender that they were not born, or B, that might lead them down a path that they think it's acceptable to do something like what happened at the Covenant School. And there's a lot of money behind preventing that manifesto from coming out. And I think it goes, it might have a lot to do with some of the rumors we hear about the specifics of the school, but I think it has a lot to do with pharmaceutical companies not wanting the ultimate results of how they're drugging our children to be fully investigated so we can get to the truth. You and I are on the same page. And for the record, I'm not transphobic. I'm pharmaphobic. I'm Pfizer-phobic. Okay, moving on. <laughs> so they kicked out uh, George Santos in New York. They just had an election and the Democrat won, of course. Um, a principal they kicked him out on, the left would never, ever do. Uh, they won't kick out Elon Omar, Tlaib, any of the Israeli haters, pro-Hamas people. So Seattle and Memphis have something in common. As I keep saying, don't Seattle your Tennessee. Well, they did it anyway. The freeways, they got clogged by Stop the Genocide pro-Hamas protesters. Uh, Seattle arrested five organizers, shockingly, but Memphis hasn't. It's almost as if the tables have turned. What do you think about allowing this and not actually doing what uh, Birmingham would have done back in the days when it was Birmingham and actually arrest some folks. Well, I agree with, I think, uh, representative Jody Barrett. I think this is right. I think he has some legislation before yep. the general assembly that would make it. A and felt Senator, uh, Brett Taylor. I've had okay. There you go. There you go. On the Senate side of things, fully supportive of this. Um, there are appropriate ways for some reason we've ceded this ground that it is appropriate and acceptable to protest anywhere and everywhere you want to protest and denying someone. I mean, how absurd is it to suggest that to deny someone the right to block a, a highway, a state or a federal highway is somehow denying them their First Amendment rights? It's absurd. Uh, any reasonable, rational person thinks it's absurd. And we need to put teeth behind uh, legislation that would prevent this type of activity in the future. Put them in jail. I mean, it's, it's uh, look, if you want to. Do you know you where wanna... they learned the tactic? 
uh, probably from the, uh, well, I don't know, from the leftist from, states. I would I would assume Seattle and Portland and these types of places. From Seattle, because Seattle realized that the Department of Transportation runs the freeways and the city runs the streets. So they moved all their homeless encampments under off the streets and onto the side of the freeways. And so why wouldn't you walk on there and protest and stop cars for four miles during rush hour? And someone even died at it. So it's really a really bad thing. They really need to crack down. But the federal government won't do it, letting the states get the cameras, the TV cameras. Well, okay. and, and I would add, too, that, you know, if for, for anyone watching who says, oh, well, you know, Murphy's cold hearted toward these. No, I, I think this is actually protecting them, uh, cracking down on what they can and cannot do. Because we've seen it, you, I've seen examples, video examples in other nations. I, I think it was in, was it in New Zealand where they got shot? Uh, someone who was, uh, it was an altercation that started with a protest in the streets. It led to a guy saying, I have to get to work. You're going to get out of the way. That guy said, I'm not getting out of the way. Eventually a gun was drawn and somebody was shot. And the point is, is that you're going to see uh, individuals take matters into their own hands where they see an absence of law enforcement taking the law seriously in their communities. And when that happens, you know, then lives are in danger. The law enforcement need to have well, the ability. That's called vigilante it. justice, which is, that's, right. that's one of the movies of Murphy's Law. You know, we got the, the uh, death wish. But the point is, I think for you and what you're saying is very good is that, you know, uh, crosswalks are not a fascist dictator's cracking down on individuals' liberties and rights. It's for safety. So you don't get hit by right. a truck. Walking on a freeway in uh, the middle of the day, it's for your own safety. Don't do that. Bad idea. If you want to go to City Hall and march all day long, go ahead with your megaphones. Just not in the well in Nashville. Um, okay. So you're an avowed libertarian. That's kind of a Republican light, maybe more pro-autonomy than the, than the party uh, itself. But, but what do you make of the Republican Party making it hard to join their own party or run for office as a Republican in Tennessee? Um, you know, talk about good old boy. They won't let anyone in unless they are, they call it bona fide. Uh, I think it's fraught with peril considering what I understand their motivations to be at this point. Um, I have said from the beginning, this is not my club. Uh, I like to quote the old Groucho Marx line that I don't belong to any club that would have me as a member. So this is not my group. This is not my club. However, two things. One, I don't know that you're sending the right message uh, in that big tent spirit. I understand you have to have rules. I understand you want to have parameters. You want to have basic platform uh, by which you expect people to stand on if they want to be a part of your group. Uh, you know, the easiest example is I don't think the Republican Party is going to be welcoming in a lot of pro-choice activists into the Republican Party because you're violating a basic platform of being a conservative, being a Republican, believing in uh, the sanctity of life. Uh, that I use that as an example. So I understand that. But I don't know that you're being welcoming, telling people who want to be a part of your party and want to take a part in your organization, uh, that they're to be excluded based on not just rules, but rules that you change seemingly arbitrarily to prevent particular people from running in particular races. And that's where I think it's dangerous. Uh, and, I, and I've said as much to the party. Uh, the party and yet they allow open primaries. Right. I mean, so if you're that <laughs> determined and, and and I've made the point too, it's a great point that you just make, Steve. If you're that determined to keep out the those that are not truly conservative, then close your primary system and vote in a closed system as some states do and allow third parties to be third parties and, and go whatever that way they want. Force party registration. But as long as you have open primaries, uh, it seems a fool's errand uh, to try to pick nits regarding particular races and particular candidates that you want to exclude because of bad blood that happened in the past. I, I just think it's bad for business for Republicans. Exactly. And it gives the left the opportunity to say, oh, you're trying to do this for Gloria Johnson, but now look what you did. Marshall Blackburn can't be vice president as if she would even want that. I mean, that isn't even on the table, but anyway, okay. So does libertarianism make room for things like drag shows, pride festivals, unisex bathrooms, and trans competing against women in sports? Only Utah and Florida have actually banned those. Tennessee did the drag shows and castration at Vanderbilt. But do you think voters want more or less of that stuff? 
Well, I mean, on a personal front, I, I believe in, I value more than anything individual rights and liberties. So as I, as, so long as I am not encroaching on the God-given rights and liberties of other Americans. So I understand that in particular instances that some of that gets a little bit squishy about, you know, I, a good example that I've used for years about where libertarianism gets a little squishy is gambling issues, right? Because there are many conservative arguments. Like as a libertarian, I believe that you should do with your money what you want to do with your money. I believe that gambling should be legal in the state of Tennessee. The argument against that that many conservative friends of mine make is, well, gambling has indirect residual consequences uh, that maybe affect, might affect a family directly, but can cascade and affect a community indirectly. And I respect those arguments. So I understand that there's some squishiness to it. But my, my standard is simple, that if what you are doing is going to directly or indirectly affect another individual and that individual's family, then we need to look into whether or not you should have the right to do so. So uh, do I think that drag shows should be legal in private establishments uh, where only adults, consenting adults, are allowed inside of those establishments? Sure, I do. Uh, I believe in freedom in the United States of America. Uh, do I think that we should allow drag shows at public libraries where unbeknownst to parents, children are going to check out books and they're exposed to these types of things that go against the values of those families? Of course not. I mean, that's where you are not only encroaching, uh, you see a generous amount of indoctrination going on by these same individuals that claim innocence uh, when confronted with what they're doing in front of kids. So I, I, I look at, there's a hard line difference when you're trying to involve children uh, um, in a, of a certain age that can't make mature decisions for themselves, grown-up decisions, we used to call them for themselves. Uh, but as far as, you know, grown-ups go, I think grown-ups should be able to do what grown-ups want to do as long as they're not violating the rights of other people. Have you ever interviewed like Chloe Cole or Riley Gaines or Caitlyn Jenner on, on these things? Well, yeah, and I, I think, you know, with, with regard, I've, I've interviewed both Chloe and Riley. I've never had the opportunity to talk with Caitlin, but I mean, obviously, um, any ability for a biological male to compete against biological females is going to be inherently inherently advantageous to the biological male. That's taking nothing against from women. Uh, women have a lot of attributes and and uh, uh, that are highly superior to men. Uh, but men have been built biologically to be um, physically, in general, uh, superior to women. So obviously, yeah, it, good example, golf, right? Uh, we are beginning to see an encroachment where transgendered men, I guess, well, I, I, I always get confused. I guess it would be transgendered women. Yeah. So biological males that say that they're women want to join the LPGA. Well, mm -hmm. the natural consequence of that, Steve, is that 10, 15 years from now, we're going to have a bunch of dudes that claim to be women, whether they really think it or not. It doesn't matter to me what's really in their mind. It's a bunch of biological males have taken over all of these opportunities for women and destroyed that aspect of women's sports. The same with women's swimming, the same with women's tennis. And, and there's so a reason there's a ladies tee and a men's tee. Right. That's right. Well, and there's a reason that the PGA Tour allows women to compete on the tour and the LPGA Tour does not allow men, right? And this is a fact. The PGA Tour says, look, if you're good enough and you compete and you earn a spot, we don't care if you're female or not, because they understand the biological differences and they understand the likelihood of a woman being able to do that is very slim. Well, the LPGA Tour has strict guidelines against men competing because they know if they open that up, it would just be another men's tour. So they Very understand. interesting to see what LIV does being owned by Saudi Arabia, ultimately. And I am pretty sure Riley could take Freddie O'Donnell. So there is some physical characteristics. As if, and Lieutenant Governor McNally probably would Or, or, or me, Steve. Or yeah. me. Well, yeah, yeah. It depends on what sport we're talking about. But... She could take him and just about anything. But, you know, Lieutenant Governor McNally probably wouldn't be in favor of banning any of this if it included social media censorship, right? Um, a Tennessee bill that would make abortion trafficking of minors a felony offense passed by a voice vote yesterday afternoon in the House Population Health Subcommittee. I think we'll see parents locked up in jail for that. 
Oh gosh. I, well, I certainly hope not. I, I would love to see um, a, an absence of legislation regarding abortion in the state of Tennessee because of an absence of abortions uh, being attempted in the state of Tennessee. We're, we've seen a significant decline, thankfully, uh, after Dobbs v. Jackson. I don't know of the specifics of the uh, of the bill that you're talking about, uh, but he- here's what I know. Um, I know that we should default. There are more opportunities than ever. And I'm, I know that you're not asking for a, an abortion debate necessarily, but there are more opportunities than ever in the state of Tennessee for individuals to ensure that they do not get pregnant if they do not want to get pregnant. And I think more we are more ready in the history of this country than ever before to eliminate abortion for a lack of anyone wanting one based on the preventative types of measures that they could take to avoid one. That said, life matters and the rules matter. And those that are trying to skirt the edges of what is clearly defined in Tennessee law at this point as what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do concerning the life of the mother. uh, If you're trying to get around that, anything that prevents people exploiting those loopholes, I'm in favor of because I, I believe in the sanctity of life. And I believe that there are enough And this is where I am divergent, by the way, with a lot of my libertarian friends. There are enough opportunities and options available to individuals that we do not have to resort to killing another human being in order to prevent a pregnancy. Have you interviewed this gal, uh, Alfie Allen, I think it is? Uh, She's the gal running for assembly whose campaign is literally 100%. I had to cross state lines to get an abortion, so vote for me so more babies can get killed. I mean, what the hell? Do you know who I'm talking I've about? I've not interviewed. Uh, I would I would welcome the opportunity to interview someone who has that illogical of a premise as a centerpiece of their political campaign because I Literally think it is it. She's interview. raising money. Yeah. Oh, that's She's crazy. got the Gloria Johnson vote and the Pearson and the, all the rest. So you, you know who I'm talking about, right? I'm not making this No, up. no, I do. No, no, I do. I do. But I've not, not I've not had the pleasure of, of talking with her. Okay. Well, I feel bad for her babies. Um in a classic moment in talk radio history. I mean, you, you filled some shoes. Phil Valentine is classic history. You've got uh, Wilson there. You invited a state senator to leave the lying to your audience. Leave for lying to your audience. Heidi Campbell, did she call and apologize to you and WTN for using your show for her hypocrisy on school choice? She did not, oddly enough. that You know, I like to say that liberals would be ashamed of themselves if they were capable of it. But they're not. Uh they are largely absent of shame, so they feel none. Now, I mean, the Heidi conversation was an interesting one. Heidi and I have had uh, discussions over the couple of years that I've been here. And in this instance, she called me um, and said, I want to come on and I want to uh, advocate against this school scholarship bill that's about to come up in the uh, in the General Assembly. And I said, OK, Sure. And I said, you know, I'm generally favorable of it. And she said, yes. So everybody was on the table. And my frustration was twofold, uh, Steve. I I felt like it was well, Heidi was well established as someone that had attended private school all of her life, a very, very exclusive, very expensive private school in Nashville. Um, It was established that she sent her children to private school to the same very expensive Nashville private school. It's one of the top three or four in the state in terms of cost. Uh, and I asked her about that and she got frustrated that I was bringing up personal issues. And I said, no, it, it hard to do, by the way, on twenty three thousand dollars for a state senator per year. I mean, you know, it's a lot of money. Uh, and we didn't get into how in the world she could afford it, because, look, I don't begrudge her the ability to make the decisions that she wants to make for her children based on their educational needs. The point was, is that while you're doing that, you are actively attempting to prevent others from having the ability to do that because of finances. And uh, she, she said, are you insinuating that I can't have an opinion? I said, I'm not insinuating anything. I'm saying you're being a hypocrite. And, and then she kept insisting that she had read the bill and you and I haven't been in Tennessee all of our lives. She apparently has absent some private schooling that she did up in the Northeast, but I'm like, look, I understand how this works. Uh, you have a deadline. You put a placeholder bill in. The bill hasn't been written yet. And you wait until the bill's structured. You dump the bill in as a complete stu- substitute. And there's your real bill. Well, she knew that. And she kept saying that she had read the bill. And I was like, stop lying. You haven't read the bill. You know you haven't read the bill. It hasn't been written yet. 
And she insisted that she uh, had. And I said, no, you haven't. You're lying to the audience. And she said, well, I'm not going to sit here and be called a liar. And so I said, well, you can leave. Uh, and she said, what? And I said, goodbye. I'm inviting you to leave. And so she left. So a long way to answer. And I, your- and I immortalized her face with her downward smile in your poster for she, the show. She, so. was not, she was not very pleased uh, yeah. with me for asking her to leave. Well, that's the way it works, man. You got to tell the truth or else get caught out because that's the point. You're not a propaganda tool. Um, And Gabrielle's never called me either. So whatever. Um, CNN, the good old mainstream of conscious media. Um, The Tennessee legislature uh, couldn't keep Rep. Jones out. Obviously, it tried. uh, Still trying. He has raised a million dollars, which I think may be a record for an assemblyman um, off of all this, which I think only... Speaker Sexton has close to that too. Uh, and he can't be happy being linked to this guy uh, in history. Um, and nobody in mainstream media talks about his sexual assault accusations except you. Um, but it wouldn't really matter. They love that. It's almost like a resume item. You got to lie about school choice and you have to have a sexual assault in your history to be a Democrat. They love him as their golden god on the left. What effect do you think Jones, Pearson, and Gloria, the three amigos that caused all the trouble last session, are going to have on this session? You know, it remains to be seen. Um, I am certain that they are trying to uh, develop new tactics in order to disrupt the body. I I saw um, the story that you might be alluding to on CNN's website, just lauding, just praising, just lavishing praise on Justin Jones. And I did not get to it uh, on today's show, and I, I plan on trying to get to it tomorrow, that there were so many just errors. Um, you know, they, you know, CNN did not bother to fact check themselves to the point that they, uh, even in the first paragraph of the story, they said, well, they, you know, they, uh, the GOP attempted to expel Justin Jones, but they were unsuccessful. No, they were actually quite successful in expelling Justin Jones. Um, sadly, uh, the local uh, uh, Metro Council decided to replace him with him, which some have suggested is actually against the law because the law says successor as opposed to the same individual. But that said, I mean, they, they have to they, they have to do everything in their power to lie, cheat and steal in order to prop these people up as saviors of the left. Um, to answer your question, I think that glory, I, I think all three of them uh, will do everything that they can to try to be as disruptive as they can when the time comes. I think they'll uh, engage. People just have to know, man, 75 Republicans, only 24 Democrats, no libertarians that I know of, sorry. Mm-hmm. Why do Jack Johnson, Republican, and Sexton, Republican, even deal with them? A supermajority, it's like a mandate. I'd ignore them completely. Literally, the Democrats could get on a bus, drive over to Colorado, hang out, smoke some pot, avoid a vote, and they'd still have quorum without them and they could do anything they want. Why do they even entertain their BS? Well, you know, what Sexton would tell you, and I'm not here to defend the tactics that Sexton, certainly that he engaged in last session, because I think last session was just a debacle toward the end of it, uh, and obviously so, uh, which led to the expulsions. What he would say is that he has precious little ability to censure him outside of um, expelling him from the body, which they tried to do last year. They've tried to add uh, a degree of censure that would lead to a prevention from him being able to speak for the rest of the day or for a series of days, which I think would be acceptable to me or to most. He lost people. his committees, at least. And 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 removing from you know key committees that he claims to be to want to be on. He wants to be on education. They removed him from education. Well, he removed himself when he was expelled. He goes to the back of the line when it comes to committee assignments, and he doesn't have any preferential treatment. I, I agree. I, you know, I I tend to think. Uh, that you just let him get in line. You know, the order is that, you know, you get in line to speak on the matter. And as long as you're speaking on the matter in front of you, you get to say what you want to say. Uh, what Sexton would argue is, is that Justin Jones seizes that minute or two of opportunity and he starts impugning the integrity of the other members of the body. And you have to do something about that to keep the decorum going. Uh, but, you know, ignore them as much as humanly possible would be my advice. Um, allow him his minute, make it a hard minute, whatever it is, a minute, two minutes. I don't know what the rules are now, but give them whatever time you give them. If they're out of bounds, set up rules that you can stop them from speaking for the rest of the day and then move on with it and largely ignore them as much as you possibly can. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly the squeaky 
we'll get in the grease because they have no power at 24 and those are three of the 24 over 10 percent of them are not going to be listening but i to but them. i but i think they're doing a better job this session and i'm not here to you know praise these republicans in leadership but i would say that there's a couple of examples that i would give you of how the democrats have been ineffective this session one this afton ben a new democrat uh, that brought this transgender, I, I guess it's a, a, he's pastor. a pastor somewhere. Um, and, and, you know, the rules just say that a representative can have an ordained pastor offering the opening prayer. And I think that was Afton Ben trying to get the Republicans to react because the Democrats would love it if there was no opening prayer, frankly. Um, and they didn't take the bait uh, and good for them. Uh, for not taking the bait. I think Justin Jones did the same thing when he refused to lead the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, for those you know that are invested like we are, uh, you would remember that about a week or so ago, um, he brought forth a, some sort of Indian shaman, I think it was, to offer the prayer, and that's fine, whatever. Um, you know, let's, Tell us you're Marxist communist without really telling us you're Marxist communist. Right, right. I mean, whatever. In I mean, Tennessee, you know, of all places. Go right. to Boston. I mean, and, you know, that's fine. Boston. You know, every representative has their day. And so whatever you sign up for. it, um, And so I'm dismissive of that. But then he refused to lead the pledge. And I think he he was trying to bait Republicans into reacting. And, and this is what I'm talking about when I suggest and I know some would disagree with this, but I suggest just ignore it um, because they want you to react to it because they want to make it a bigger deal than it is. And what Afton Ben would have liked to have done is she would love it if the Republicans said, no, you can't have this transgender pastor to offer the prayer. It doesn't represent Tennessee values because she would immediately start objecting to every single Baptist preacher that walks in front of religious grounds. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, yeah. no, it's crazy. It's, it's certainly not Republicanism, but uh, it's at least they're on full display. They're not hiding it anymore. We know who they are. That's true. That's true. Uh, have you interviewed Stuart Parks uh, who ran against Andy Ogles for D five and now today is in jail for January 5th or uh, Sarah Maccabee, whose husband they call the sheriff of January 6th uh, was a Williamson County Sheriff here. We have an election for County Sheriff here. Um, he's also in jail for just, uh, January 6th. I, I, I have a, I feel so bad for those folks since we now know the pipe bomb was fake and maybe planted by Capitol Police and all the feds embedded in the crowd to start a riot. Uh, very third world of America. It would be nice if Andy, even though he was his opponent, fought for these guys to get him out of there. Have you interviewed them? You know what I think? I, well, I, I, I have not um, had the opportunity to speak with um, Stewart since uh, his um, uh sentencing and since his incarceration i spoke to him as a candidate for the fifth congressional district seemed like a great guy um and i've talked to sarah mcafee as well um both of these individuals are political uh, being politically persecuted um whatever um transgress i don't think i don't think stewart did anything wrong uh i, I don't think i don't think stewart did a thing wrong um i Sarah and I had a slight disagreement and I deferred to her because it's her husband. There's no question that her husband is being politically persecuted, uh, not only for his quote unquote role in January 6th, but also because he was uh, an authority figure in terms of a Williamson County Sheriff's deputy. I, I think that that lent to a even harsher sentence, if anything. And this is where we disagreed. I, I could potentially see misdemeanor charges, um, but just that. Uh, and that and that is where the waters get muddied on January 6th, is that I can understand why some of the people that were breaking windows, those were so few of the overall crowd uh, that everyone gets lumped in with those individuals that might have broken a few laws. And understand something, nobody broke laws to the tune of four, five, six years in prison. And some of the people are obviously being placed in prison for that length of time, or like William being held in jail for that length of time before sentencing. Um, he was held without bond. It's absurd. It's political. And it was thrown out in Tennessee, and then the feds got involved a second time, and now he's in jail. It's outrageous. I agree. It's Banana you. Republic kind of stuff. And and I think, if I'm not mistaken, that Andy um, has spoken up uh, in Stewart's defense. Has I don't he? know. I think that was just earlier in the week, and and I don't know what the nature of that was, but I would like to see more lawmakers do so to at least, very, at very least, get him in an appropriate facility and not put him in with the general population of murderers and rapists and whatnot.
Yeah, and certain, I think there's 1,600 now, and some of them for just you know walking on the grass. It, it's absolutely outrageous, mm -hmm. and I think the whole thing should be tossed out. And I don't really want to wait until the next president comes along and hope for big blanket pardons. I think they should all be out now waiting for some kind of trial to be proven innocent or guilty. Um, all right, before I let you go, I want to say goodbye to everyone on TECN.TV. Thanks for tuning in. It's been uh, a pleasure, as always, live. I've got more questions for Matt. And if you want to hear the answers to those, you got to jump on over to our Rumble channel or listen to it on uh, iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Um, live TV has a hard clock, as Matt is very familiar with. We don't do sports and weather here, but we do have a hard cutoff. But we do keep the show going because there's too much information to be had to just stick it in 55 minutes. So I'll say goodbye to y'all and we will go on to the next section. We're live on the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast and I'm John Gentry representing the state of Tennessee constitution. Okay, Matt, how about the six people uh, that have been convicted on federal charges for praying at Planned Parenthood now in jail from Mount Juliet? I think you live there, don't you? Um, ever had them on or heard their story? No. Uh, I'd like to. I mean, I know that I know their story vaguely, and and I say vaguely in in, in as much as you know, I I believe the news reports that I read, and you, you know, you have to have a little bit of caution with that. But I mean, obviously. Uh, you know, the the type of prosecutions that have gone on with people regarding Planned Parenthood or abortion clinics have been a longstanding political prosecution along the lines of what we're talking about with January 6th. Uh, they're over-prosecuted, they're overcharged, and they're over-sentenced. Uh, and it is absurd that grandmotherly figures would be put in handcuffs, arrested, and then eventually put in jail for praying for people, verbalizing their prayers, asking, you know, asking these mother, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, you could convince me if you created a very specific scenario that, you know, some individual down the road might need to be prevented from getting in front of, you know, th there are scenarios that I know of where, you know, people were pushing, uh, perspective uh, women who are going into abortion clinics, that sort of thing. That's not what's happening anymore. You have faithful people that are praying for the lives of the unborn and the lives of the mothers and are asking the mothers to pray with them. And they're getting arrested for it. I mean, it it is, this is not an America that we want to be a part of, but sadly, um, the the political left wins that media argument because the media doesn't tell the full story. They don't talk about grandma just praying for somebody. Um, they just talk about federal law and they act like they're done with it. So, so no, it's a travesty. So here in right. Washington State, they just um, passed a law that um, is making it more restrictive for ultrasound to be done in a pregnancy center, a pregnancy, a life pregnancy center, where somebody will come in there before they go to let's say, a Planned Parenthood, and they will be shown what's inside their womb. And they go, oh, my gosh, I don't want to have an abortion. And our legislation has passed stuff to make it more difficult. And I think they're going to try to make it to the point where you can only go to a, quote, medical center to have that done, which, again, it's a way of chiseling away a woman's free right to go to a clinic that's free, that's there, um, to have uh, to get these insights, and so the this political left, uh, satanic left, is doing everything they can to destroy the young. Yeah. The, so they, it's, well, like, they it's like it's like Lee needs to give commendations to the two cops that shot Aubrey Hale and stopped her from killing more. And mm -hmm. since it's this is federal, it would be really nice if Andy Ogles could help. I think it's his district, isn't it, Mount Juliet? And they yeah. they they were each convicted of a felony conspiracy against rights and a freedom of access to clinic entrances act face act offense that needs to be repealed. Uh, not very libertarian, huh? 
No, and 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 it goes against. So on one hand, I mean, the left makes no sense, right? So, <laughs> and, but they don't have to uh, because they have organizations that shield and protect them. They make no logical sense. So on one, not hand, in the job description, no. Right. On one hand, they argue uh, that there should be the right to protest should be sacrosanct and that there should be free and unfettered access uh, for anyone to protest these unjust laws of the state of Tennessee or whatever it might be. So they should have access to our roadways, you know, uh, you know, the the whole chop Chaz thing, the BLM thing of the summer of 2020 uh, that, you know, they need to have the, the freedom to destroy that kind of thing. Uh, that's on one hand. And on the other hand, people quietly standing in front of an abortion clinic praying and verbalizing a prayer or as someone walks by offering hey can we pray with you that's a federal offense it is I mean, now the it, safe act yeah it's on the books it, face act and, sorry, and, face. and toward what and toward what uh i call him washington steve toward what washington steve's saying is that they can't win on, in the arena of ideas even with these young women who are considering abortion because now it, they know this that if you just give those women all the information yes that's it that's it you don't have to, all you have to do is give them all the information say okay this is what you get with your abortion you're going to eliminate this life growing inside of you this is what's going to happen these are the complications involved we're not going to freak you out this is what happened. on the other side we're going to give you a sonogram and we're going to show you the baby we're going to show you the life that's inside of you. Yep. Sure, the heartbeat, yeah. Given those options, the woman chooses life like 75% of the time. And so because they are so determined to be the culture of death, yes. because they think it's a winning political argument. Um, it has been for 40 they, years. They've decided to eliminate half of the argument and claim that there isn't one. <laughs> it's gross. It's disgusting. It is. All right. Last question. And I'm going to let you tell everyone where they can go follow you. Uh, and we can follow this up maybe on your show or next time. But do you think Donald Trump is a libertarian, Republican, rhino or Democrat? Well, I think I think Donald Trump is a is a, is a narcissist. <laughs> and I don't say that as a pejorative. I, I don't say that as an as as a, like some evil or uh, I don't mean you just that. describe Democrats that way. So I get but I, I just I mean that in a in a very serious way, I think um, I think Donald Trump's evolved his positions over time. Um, I think that Donald Trump has evolved from being a libertarian to being more of a physically irresponsible conservative. I don't know what that is necessarily. Donald Trump, no conservatives that exist in federal government that have any sort of power are physical conservatives anymore. I, I I've long said that. Today's Republicans are yesterday's Democrats. Today's Democrats are yesterday's socialists. I don't know where the conservatives are anymore, yeah. but they're in the minority, wherever they are. Right? Yeah, that Overton window has moved all the way across the street to the other no, guys. I, I think I, I think it's interesting. I've never, you know, you, you bring something up that I've never thought about. I, I think Donald Trump might be more of a classical libertarian uh, than than a true conservative, although he has adopted policies that he knows are winning policies. Um, you know, there was a time when Donald Trump described himself as being pro-choice. Now he described himself as very much being pro-life. And, you know, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, the man uh, appointed three justices that led us to Dobbs. So we we can't deny the results. So the results speak for themselves. But I also can't deny history that there was a time when he was in New York City where he was like, oh, I'm pro-choice and this, that and the other thing. So I think he's evolved over time. I do not believe that you have very many true uh, like uh, more pure conservatives in Washington, D.C. So um, I, I don't know that he's a Mitch McConnell establishment type. Uh, so if I had to pick one of those, I'd pick libertarian. Not because it's self-serving, but because. <laughs> yeah, we know. All right, Matt Murphy's Law, thank you. We are at the end here of our second installment of Murphy's Law, trademark. Uh, not really. Tell our listeners where they can follow your social media or find you at your favorite local public house. Uh, well, you can find me on social media at Matt Murphy Show. I'm most often on the X machine, which is a cesspool of uh, humanity, uh, but I wallow around in it from time to time at Matt Murphy Show. I'm also on Facebook, Instagram, and some other places. And you can always find me at Supertalk 99.7 WTN from noon until three. 
Monday through Friday. And one of these days, uh, Steve's going to let me in his gated community down, uh, down south of Nashville, and we'll have a pint together. I'll share you the, the code with you, but you're not allowed out. That's it's a one-way <laughs> ticket. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on with us. We'll see you next right. month. Riley Gaines, a recent graduate from the University of Kentucky, where I was a part of the swim team. I'm a five-time SEC champion, 12-time NCAA All-American, and you're watching the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast. Welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show. Producer Steve, what do you think of our friend Matt Murphy? Well, I think we got to let the uh, the song here go. Forgot about that. Well, I enjoyed uh, your your bantering with Matt. It was nice to be able to come in there for a little bit of a a, a little bit of a um, segue. And I know that we're uh, recording on the cloud today, so I'm leaving myself out of the picture just so that you can be in here by yourself. But uh, okay, great. Well, it's great. time for my quotes for the day. That's we're right. going to have Matt on again. You can tell us your opinion on him every month. Hopefully, if the creek don't rise. Uh, but before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes, search for Mill Creek View, and hit the subscribe button. Hopefully, you've memorized that line by now. I really hope you like it. Uh, we work hard on the show to get these kind of guests, and I think it's working. Um, and you can join the conversation, usually with me and Matt, at Mill Creek View on Twitter and Facebook anytime uh, until they deplatform me again and it's an election year so it's possible all right let's hit clip number one rush limbaugh made an insightful prediction about where our society would end up here it is because i'm wearing these ribbons i care more than any of you about anything <laughs> and these ribbons say so i want you people sitting at home and you people in the audience look down at your lapel right now <laughs> i want you to do this put the camera back on me do this <laughs> When you look down, what do you see? You don't see anything because you're not wearing any ribbons. It means you're a bigot. It means you're a racist. It means you're a sexist. It means you're a homophobe. It probably means you're a white guy. It probably means you're a European. And you and you alone are responsible for all the ills of America. But I'm not because I'm wearing these ribbons. <laughs> all right. Rush Limbaugh. Died February 17th, 2021, three years ago this week. The polls are just being used as another tool of voter suppression. The polls are an attempt to not reflect public opinion, but to shape it. Yours. They want to depress the heck out of you. Rush Limbaugh. I know it when I don't know it. Sometimes I know it when I don't think I know it. I need to trust myself in these moments, these rare moments of self-doubt. I also, he also said, I want anyone who believes in life, liberty, pursuit of happiness to succeed. And I want any force, any person, any element of an overarching big government that would stop your success. I want that organization, that element, or that person to fail. I want you to succeed. So do I. He and I had that in common. Clip number two. Welcome back this Christmas Eve. In his final show of the year, radio great Rush Limbaugh had a message for his listeners that had nothing to do with politics. My point in all of this today is gratitude. My, my point in everything today that I share with you about this is to say thanks and to tell everybody involved how much I love you from the bottom of a sizable and growing and still beating heart. I wasn't expected to be alive today. You have an expiration date. A lot of people never get told that, and so they they um, don't face life this way. I've learned what love really is during this. Three years ago this week. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Matt Murphy's Murphy's Law, for some good old reality checks. Even media personalities can do that sometimes and be lovers of truth, just mostly off air. This is goodbye for now. I'm your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. See y'all tomorrow. Last night, I was at the Nashville Palace for a fundraiser for the sixth annual Daryl Singletary This Is Country event. 
Uh, let's hear the late Lee Greenwood. You can see the full song from my front row view on our Rumble page. Uh, just another day that ends in Y in Nashville, Tennessee, y'all. Peace in our time and definitely glory to God. Just my children and my wife. Thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Cause the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.